Hi, I'm Tess Vigland, and as we work, we're trying to drive a hard bargain. The hardest bargain, just like Don Corleone in The Godfather. I want you to rest well, and a month from now, this Hollywood big shot's gonna give you what you want. It's too late. They start shooting in a week. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. This is As We Work from the Wall Street Journal, a show about the changing workplace and everything you need to know to navigate it. The words you just heard are probably the most famous line in the history of negotiation. Make him an offer he can't refuse. Of course, the Godfather didn't actually want to negotiate. He meant they should threaten the guy or, you know, off him. And of course, we do not endorse that. But that idea of coming in with an offer and having it be all or nothing has become pretty prevalent. And the truth is, workplace negotiations don't have to be so one-sided. It's not really about making an offer they can't refuse. It's about finding common ground. So today we're exploring some less distressing ways to negotiate at your job, whether it's for a raise or working remotely, or maybe just, you know, for a cannoli. How to negotiate not like the Godfather, but like a boss. That's coming up. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. One of the first skills you want to learn early in your career is how to negotiate from that first paycheck all the way to settling on a retirement date. You're going to have to figure out how to bargain for what you want. It's not easy. Some of us aren't any better at it now than we were when we started out many moons ago. And apparently Gen Z hasn't completely figured this one out either. A survey released this month by Fidelity found that 58% of young professionals aged 25 to 35 accepted their current job offer without negotiating. But those who did negotiate, 87% of them got at least some of what they asked for. So yeah, you should do it, or at least try. But it is rarely fun, and I personally would rather roll around in a pigsty. If you feel the same, Barry Nailbuff might be able to help. He's been teaching negotiation, strategy, innovation, and game theory at the Yale School of Management for the last 30 years. And his most recent book is called Split the Pie, A Radical New Way to Negotiate. So hey, we're going to talk about pie. How bad could it be? Later on, he's going to answer some of your questions about negotiation. Barry, welcome to the program. Thanks for inviting me. So really basic question here. Why do we hate negotiating? Why do why do I hate negotiating? I have to tell you, it fills me with the, the kind of existential dread that makes me run to the refrigerator for a high fat snack. I'm not sure that's the best response, but <laughs> probably not. A lot of people think that the way we should negotiate follows the spice market in Turkey, or they look at some crazy negotiator they've seen on TV, and they think they have to become like a jerk. Uh, 
it's not somebody who they are. It's not an effective way to negotiate, but they think it's necessary to protect themselves from being taken advantage of. And that's not true. Yeah, I mean, it just, it, it has always seemed to me to be automatically adversarial, right? You usually want something more. The person on the other side of the table usually wants to give you as little as they can get away with. Uh, that seems like the very definition of, of adversarial and fraught. If you don't have a different framework for negotiating, that's what people will resort to. My students at Yale, they're wonderful. They're smart. They're empathetic. They're curious until they start negotiating. And then they fall back into this jerk-like behavior. And so what I want you to try and do is when you see somebody acting like a jerk, get them off the ledge. Don't fight fire with fire. As Smokey the Bear would say, put out the fire. Fight fire with water. And hopefully the other person isn't a jerk either. They're just acting like one. Well, let's talk about that. This is the main thing in your book where you're talking about uh, a pie. And uh, I hope it's a savory one. I, I like I like pizza more than, you know, apple. Well, here, <laughs> so. here in New Haven, when we talk about pies, it's clam pizzas from Sally's and Pepe's. So Clam yes, pizza. That, that's what the pie is in this town. My goodness. Okay, well, I'm going to have to give that a shot someday. Um, but let, let's start with how you should be thinking of this as a pie rather than just a back and forth. What does that pie mean to us in a negotiation? It's strange to say this, but people are typically confused what a negotiation is about. And let me give an example using my mother. She's living in Sarasota. Her landlord decides it's a hot market and wants to put the house she's renting up for sale. Hmm. And so he says to her, Marsha, I'm going to list this house for 800000 but because I like you, you've been a good tenant, I'll sell it to you for 790000 Okay, what's the pie? What's the reason they're having this negotiation? And most people think it's about the price of the house. Yeah. But the real reason they're negotiating is so that my mom can save moving costs, he can save the costs of fixing up the unit, repainting it, putting in new carpets. And most importantly, they can save a 5% real estate agent commission, mm. which here would be about $40,000. Okay. So that $40,000 is really what they're negotiating over. Absolutely. And so she writes back and says, look, I like the place. I'm happy to buy it. I'm happy to pay market price. And I'd like to split the $40,000 savings with you 2020. He writes back and says... I don't think you understand. It's a hot market. And therefore, I should get more of that $40,000 savings. Hmm. And this is the classic confusion that we see. Her response is, well, the fact that it's a hot market is why the price is going to be high. But that doesn't mean you should get any more of the negotiation pie of that $40,000. If you sell to anybody else at eight hundred, you're only going to collect seven sixty. Oh, because of the 40000 Because of the 40000 Okay. If I buy a comparable house from anybody else, I'm going to have to pay 800 So the only way we get that wedge between seven sixty and 800 is if I'm the buyer and you're the seller. You need me just as much as I need you to save that forty k. So that's a really good kind of visual example that's very easy to understand. But when when you're going about this in your own life, yeah. um, how how do you figure out even what the ingredients are in that pie, like what you are going to negotiate over. How do you come up with those other elements of the pie? You ask, what is it that we can create as value by working together compared to what we can achieve without any deal? 
But so let me give you an example uh, that I think is fairly common, particularly over the last uh, year or so, as people have been, you know, negotiating whether to stay with their companies or not. Sure. If if you're going into a negotiation with your current employer, you want um, maybe a raise, or maybe you want a bump in title, or maybe mm-hmm. you want something else entirely. What are the things that you're not thinking about as you walk into that room or over the Zoom? The first thing is you might ask the other side how they want to negotiate with you. And they may not want to use Zoom because they may not want to see you looking disappointed if the number is too low or Hmm. elated if the number is too high. So don't assume there's one and only one way to do a negotiation. The next point is we want to think about how to make the pie bigger. And what that means is you want to ask for things that are cheap for them and valuable to you, not what's costly to them. So in particular, you don't want to ask for something that's worth a dollar to you and cost them $10. And anything that they do for you, they have to do for everybody else, is super expensive for them. So what are the things they can give that are unique to you and not to everybody else? So what if you are trying to do this within a job that that you already have? Um, I mean, I, th- I really think that the, the most common thing that people are asking for is, is a raise. Um, and when you're asking for a raise, you kind of don't care if the company is going to have to <laughs> do it for everybody else too. So how, how do you get out of that mindset of this is all about me? And how do you figure out what the company wants versus what you might be able to get from them? One thing I like to do is instead of asking people, where are you most flexible, ask them, where are they least flexible? And that will tell you what it is they can't do, and it also tells you all the other things that you can ask for. I like to say to people, try yes if rather than no unless. So that if they're able to do this for you, you're able to say yes, because I want to give the other side what it is they want. And what they want me to do is stay with the company, be productive, create a larger pie. And so I want them to know that if they are able to provide me with what I'm asking for, they're going to get a yes. There aren't more things coming down the road. But how is that different from threatening to leave? I mean, I suppose tone is Tone is one thing, but it's hugely (laughs) different because if you say no unless, they don't know what they're going to get if they say yes. Maybe there's going to be more asks down the road. Maybe you're just using it to get a higher salary somewhere else. So if you want them to go over their head, make a special exemption for you, they want to know that they're going to be successful. That's a huge thing that you're giving them. You know, Barry, it it seems like for this to work, you need a lot of clarity. You need a lot of honesty, not just from yourself, but from the other side. What if you are negotiating with someone who really isn't willing to give that? Is there a way to work around it if you are up against a jerk? Uh, If they truly are a jerk, I think you might be looking elsewhere for where you want Mm. to uh, work or you want to help reduce the aspect to which they're a jerk. Say, look, my goal here is to create a big pie. And you may not know exactly now what I can create. I don't know it. But can we agree that if I achieve these goals, these key performance indicators... Here's how I will be rewarded. So we don't have to split the pie today. We can split the pie as and when it's being created. Well, this is some great advice, but how does it work in reality? 
When we come back, Barry is going to answer some of your stickiest questions about real-life negotiations, including overpay and remote work. Stay with us. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Barry, you ready to take some questions? Or, or I don't know, did you want to negotiate the terms here? I'll give you three questions if you give me two. <laughs> All right, we'll see how this goes. All right, Caitlin Byrne from Boston, Massachusetts asks, how are you supposed to respond when companies ask about salary expectations and require it in a cover letter? I don't want to take myself out of the running by saying something too high, but I also don't want something unlivable. So there's great research on this by a young scholar named Laura Adler. A lot of laws have moved away from saying you can't ask for historical salaries, salary histories, mm-hmm. and instead they've uh, moved to salary expectations. And that ends up being a poor result in that companies value salary expectations of women less than they do of men, according to Adler's research. So... One of the things it suggests is that maybe you want to volunteer your historical salary because that may be necessary to make it credible. Another thing is you say, I want to be paid market wage. You understand market wage better than I do, and so uh, I'm prepared to accept something that is the appropriate market wage. Yes, you're putting a number out there, but more important than the number is you want to convey that you're prepared to accept what the market is. So then should should she or should she not put that on her cover letter somewhere? Well, if they're telling you they're not going to read the cover letter without a salary expectation, then I don't see how you avoid doing it. Yeah. But the point is not to leave it at just the number. Is to say, look, I've written this number. It's my understanding of what the market is. I'm prepared to accept market wages if it turns out it's something other than that. Uh, All right. So Jordan Charles from Minneapolis, Minnesota, had this question, and he sent us a recording. With the job market being as hot as it is right now, I'm wondering, is it a good idea to tell my boss I'm considering positions with other companies? In my three years of employment with my company, I've only received one raise that was a 2% increase. The company I worked for was really hurt by the pandemic, but now I'm getting pinched with inflation to the point I'm making thousands less than when I started. So he is looking around. Is that a good piece of the pie to put forward in a negotiation? Yeah. So think about this in terms of a marriage for a moment. And it's a couple. You don't want to threaten your spouse with, look, honey, I want these changes. And if these changes don't happen, we're going to have a divorce. The response could be, you got the divorce. No, I didn't want the divorce. I wanted the changes. You want the other side to appreciate that you do enjoy working there and that there's an issue, however, which is inflation means 
you need to have a higher wage and it's appropriate for them to pay you that. And I think the implication has to be, and they should get without you saying it, that if they don't be reasonable and they're not paying market wage, they're going to have to look to hire somebody like you and pay them a whole lot more money. And so you want to convey the whole time the yes if rather than the no unless. You don't want them to think that you're in some sense already out the door and nothing they're going to do is going to keep you. It's, I do enjoy working here, but there's one thing that we need to fix. That's so interesting because I feel like that is the opposite of what a lot of us have been told over the years, which is that you are in the best negotiating position if you have, say, an offer from somewhere else and that you bring that to the table if you're negotiating with your current employer. Yeah. Uh, well, Jordan didn't have the other offer yet, so let's be clear. True. Having True. other offers is great, and it certainly works to your advantage. The challenge is that if you do have this other offer, the end result might be your employer says, okay, that's a great offer. Yeah, you should take that. And so right. the question is, is your objective to stay with this firm or is it to go and find the best salary you can anywhere? Let's go to another uh, recorded phone call. We have Elisa Butchkowski from both New York and Utah. I'm currently in the situation where I've sold our house in New York and we're in contract to purchase a house in Utah. And I haven't told my job yet. Um, my plan is to ask my job to work remotely with some type of negotiated visits to New York City. Um, I've worked from home since March 2020 uh, with no effect to my performance, and I'm starting to go back into the office about one to two days a week now. We plan to, to move in August, and um, also, when do I tell my job? Sooner or later? So this is interesting, I think, because it's really not involving money. Uh, but I think this is a question that a lot of people have right now in terms of asking to either continue remote work or go to remote work. Well, I'm always sort of annoyed when my kids ask me for permission for something, like say a sleepover, and then I say yes and discover afterwards that they've already got the sleepover in process. But the other <laughs> kids shown up with their pajamas. And I would have said yes, but I don't like feeling taken advantage of in that way. I want the right. person to be honest with me. So I'm going to encourage her to be honest with her employer in this case and talk about how it is that they can make work from home work. In particular, is she willing to stay on East Coast time so that they're avail she's available to them when they need her? Is it the case that she should be making one trip a month back to the city? Is there some time that it'd be necessary for it to have in-person contact or not. But I think it's best not to say, uh, this is a fait accompli, and uh, what do you say to work from home? So be I up think front. be upfront and ask them. It's a joint problem solving. Look, I, I love this job. I want to keep working for you. What is it that we can do together to make this effective for both of us? Okay, um, and how about another recording? Uh, we have Joseph Thomas from Phoenix, Arizona. I recently heard of the term breadcrumbing, and that's when employers or managers will continually promise a promotion or a reward to an employee if they meet a certain criteria, but they end up continually moving those goalposts so that they don't get that reward or promotion. This really hit home for me. I've been in the same role since 2016, and my manager continually breadcrumbs me. To get to the director level, my first breadcrumb was to achieve an industry-level certification, which I got in a year. Next, 
it was to get a master's degree, which I worked very hard for two years to get, but to no avail. What are some negotiation tactics that I can use to approach my boss and the organization to finally get that promotion? Boy, Barry, uh, I had not heard of this before, breadcrumbing. If you're constantly being strung along, how do you figure out a pie for that one? I think the answer here is to call out the type of behavior that you're seeing. If somebody makes you an outrageous initial offer, instead of responding with an outrageous offer the other way, the fighting fire with fire, you explain that I don't think that's an appropriate way to negotiate. So let's write down on paper the if yes. That is, what are the things I need to do and have you say yes, and almost like a blockchain, if you'd like. Arrange for it to automatically happen when these things have achieved. Now, the good news is he's got the certification, he's got the master's degree. All of that is going to make him much more attractive to people outside this company. And so uh, there are people who will give him not just breadcrumbs, maybe the whole cake uh, for all the things uh, that he's done. And so, guys, you've raised my market value. You've helped me do that. I really appreciate it. Now it's time for you to recognize that. All right. And Stephen Bassanio from New York uh, says, I've discussed with my former boss and the top manager for our region to get more pay. The feedback from the managers I've spoken with is they're continually working on it and working on it. This sounds a bit like breadcrumbing, uh, as was the case at the prior company I worked for, which is why I left. Other benefits are very good, including vacation, um, but he's got this stagnant salary. So wrapping it up with how does this pie get divided and what does it look I like? I think the questions you want to ask the your boss uh, is, look, I know it sounds like a lot of work to go and help me get the raise that you and I both agree that I deserve. But think about the efforts that can be required on your part to find somebody else, that hiring people is really hard these days. But Barry, that sounds like a threat yeah, to Yeah, I kind of slipped a little bit into that. I shouldn't have. <laughs> so it's, it's more to. that what you want the other person to do is recognize on their own what you will do if things don't happen the right way. And so it's not you say, I'm going to leave if. It's what do you think is likely to happen if we're not able to come up with a sensible wage increase. And so they recognize on their own that you'll be looking elsewhere. You want to take on the role of the mediator, going between the two parties, helping the other side appreciate what the likely result is of their continuing to ignore and be apathetic to your requests for a higher salary. So, Barry, if I look back on our conversation, it seems to me like there are really two things to, to for, for everyone to focus on here. Uh, one is continue to have this conversation openly and honestly, if mm-hmm. you can. Um, it it's, shouldn't be a one-off. It should be something that you just talk about all the time. Yeah, right? talk about it early. And the other thing is just to try to be a nice person. Try and let your natural <laughs> empathy come through. And don't become somebody you aren't. Try and focus on the value that you can create together and why it makes sense for the two of you to be working in the same place. All right. Barry Nailbuff, I'm very hungry now. I'm going to go order a pizza, but thank you very much. Enjoy. So if all this advice helps and you're feeling less queasy about going into a negotiation, You still might find yourself wanting to let loose with a few choice words if you don't get your way. 
you'd be in great company if that's the case, because swearing is up in the workplace, but not all the time. We'll have some tips on when it's okay to let fly and when to use, you know, nice words after the break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And finally, our pro tip, and today we're joined by work and life columnist Rachel Feinzig, who's here with some warnings and encouragement on the potty mouth beat. When is it okay to swear at work? Let's get a answer. Rachel, welcome back. Thanks so much for having me. So gosh darn it, there is just so much to talk about here. It's going to be almost friggin' impossible, but shall we try? We shall try. All right. So how do we know that, gracious... (laughs) People are cursing more post-pandemic. I mean, you're doing a great job of just, you know, mitigating that test. But um, it's been a thing. There is data out there showing that we're hearing more swearing from executives on conference calls. You know, that's around stuff like earnings calls. And a lot of the workers I talked to noticed that that folks are swearing more at the office. We are stressed and we have grown accustomed to being casual and comfortable at home to being ourselves. And we're bringing some of that language back with us to the office. No, for Pete's sake, people, what (laughs) tarnation are you thinking? So is this okay? How how do you know when it is and isn't appropriate if the daggum rules keep changing? Part of it is looking around you, right? And you want to look not just at your boss, but about two levels above you. See what kind of language people are using. Try to mirror that. You also want to use it sparingly, no matter what. You don't need to be that guy or that girl, you know, who's always swearing. And then another tip from an expert that I thought was good was don't couple it with negativity and complaining. Like you, you mm. want to keep the swearing positive so you're not kind of doubly negative. You, you know, you can complain or you can swear, but maybe don't do them at the same time. Rachel, why does cursing at work sometimes just feel so doggone good? Because there is something unsatisfying about these words that you're using right now, Tess. It's just, I mean, it's like that visceral, you know, this is what people told me. It's like that visceral feeling. And work is stressful. And it's gotten more stressful for many of us over the last couple of years. And so, you know, what I heard from some people is, you know, sometimes no other word will do. Of course, not everyone feels that way. But I think that is how a lot of people are feeling right now. By Jove, I feel like I've got a handle on this now. So thank you, Rachel Feinzig. And and you know what? I hope you have a great day. (laughs) I hope you have a wonderful day as well, Tess. Thanks so much for (laughs) having me. All right, cursing at work may be one way of showing your true colors. Another way, just being truthful about who you are. Next time, as Pride Month begins, we'll talk about how members of the LGBTQ community are making connections at work based around their personal identities. And yes, it's actually helping them land their next jobs. 
We're talking all about networking with your whole self in mind. And before we go, we asked you all for your best piece of career advice. Here's one from Bill Farquharson from Duxbury, Massachusetts. The best career advice I was ever given came from my older brother who said, don't tie career goals to money. If you use income as a measuring stick, you can find success, but still be unfulfilled. We'll be sharing more of your advice throughout this season, so keep them coming. What is the best career advice you have ever received? Email us at aswework at wsj.com and let us know, or leave us a voicemail at 212-416-2394. That's 212-416-2394. Any messages you leave may be used in the podcast. As We Work is a production of The Wall Street Journal. Charlotte Gartenberg is our producer. Amanda Llewellyn is our development producer. Scott Salloway is a duck on the water and our supervising producer. Jessica Fenton is our sound engineer. Our music was composed by Hansdale Sue. Kateri Yoakum is The Wall Street Journal's executive producer of audio. I'm Tess Vigland. See you next time. <laughs>